When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Blocking Charge cast, everything you thought you knew two weeks ago is wrong, unless what you knew is that Minnesota's bad. It's March, which here in the Midwest means it was freezing last week, it was in the 60s this morning, and then it went down to 35 by the afternoon. Things can change fast. Give me more snow! Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire! Welcome back to the Blocking Charge cast, the only podcast that has the wherewithal to keep up with the rapid changes in the Big Ten hoops landscape, and boy, are they quick and decisive. I'm Steve Braun. I'm joined by our own MN Wildcat. Um, maybe we'll get some, some more guests later on. I'm not, I'm not betting on it, but hey, we got uh, enough of us here to get through this and uh I think you planned to join us for a couple of our, our, our shows, but a couple of weeks ago, we, we kind of made some sweeping pronouncements about how the season is going in general, which is, what we said was, Ohio State is right there in the thick of the title race. They were sitting, in, they were sitting pretty in, uh, I think, either third or fourth, and they, had, uh, they were one loss behind. Um, and then they knocked off Illinois on the road, and it's been very bad since then. I mean, if you count losing to Nebraska at home as bad, which, you know, feels like a judgment call. They lost three of their last four to unranked opponents, including they lost to Michigan without Hunter Dickinson at home. So that took them from a situation where it looked like, hey, maybe they can actually compete and get a share of the conference title to they're not even in the double by now. Because Liddell and Branham did not get a whole lot of help down the stretch. No, it's a hell of a collapse, and they, I mean, in terms of what it could do for their kind of seeding in the NCAA tournament, it's falling, falling, falling some more. I don't know that it puts them to the dreaded five line, but, uh, you know, Max Acemus is still out there lurking. <laughs> that, that hasn't changed. Uh, you know, we also said uh, Rutgers remains Rutgers and can't win on the road. So they, for, for, you know, for most of the season, they had a thing where, yeah, they won every game at home, except if they lost at home, they would then win the away game against that opponent. They, they traded wins with Maryland and Wisconsin, and then they went on the road and beat Indiana to pretty much lock up their tournament because uh, 12 and eight, it, it's hard for me to imagine Rutgers picked up a very bad loss in the non-conference, but it's hard for me to imagine that'll keep a 12-8 and Big Ten team out of the tournament. Uh, they locked up a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. Rutgers has a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. It's, I mean, we have nobody to blame, as I've said repeatedly, nobody to blame but ourselves, unless you're a Northwestern fan, in which case, 
you didn't lose to a trash Rutgers team. So yeah. I, I, it, it remains astonishing. You watch them play. The, God bless Steve Peichel for the identity. He's he's kind of put in place there, unless you hate the way that Rutgers plays basketball, in which case, fuck him. Oh, boy. But, speaking of I mean, which, like, speaking of <laughs> which, we have a Penn State contributor. Ellie has entered the chat. Look at that. We were just talking about bad basketball, and here our Penn State contributor, Mr. of a 79, here to regale us all with tales of of Penn State glory. Yes, so you join us with recording in progress, and what we've been talking about is how the uh, season changed real fast. A lot of things that we said a couple weeks ago no longer true. One of them was that Rutgers can't win on the road, and then they went and won an important game on the road, uh, somehow making it to the four line in the Big Ten tournament. I sure hope they enjoy this because it ain't happening again anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) It just, and what, what Evan Wildcat said was absolutely true. You watch them play basketball and then you look at what their record is and it's, you just think, wow, they can't keep getting away with this. I will say like, um, obviously as a fan of a, team that went 7-13 and 13 in conference play. I can't talk much, but also when you're a bad possession away from losing on senior night, maybe, you know, there, there, there's something to be said there. But look, I will say this. I have to be fair to Rutgers as a program and uh, Steve Eichel as a coach. He did take garbage and turned it into a shit sandwich so you know he gets credit for that and he took a bunch of misfits and he's going to get two tournament appearances out of that so like Rutgers gets credit for doing that but I don't know that you know the fact that I hate Rutgers with every fiber of my being aside I don't know how you look at this season in particular. Realize that Ron Harper Jr. Um, what's the other dude's name? Geo Baker. The one that does Geo Baker and um, Caleb McCollum are all gone next season. Like it's the Paul McCain. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so like, you look at that team and you're like, okay, well. Can they stay in the middle of the back in the Big Ten for the duration? Like, has Rutgers turned a corner for real? Or is this just a nice class that had a nice um, career? It was a good storyline for a program that's destined to stay at the bottom of the conference. And again, I say this as a fan of a team that is at the bottom of the conference more often than not. So, you know, I'm happy that they had an opportunity to not be at the bottom of the conference. And I think a fan of every team in the Big Ten should have the opportunity to experience that. They experienced it. (laughs) Well, and, you know, Penn State is uh, I I have no idea what it will take for them to put a lot of a lot of fans in the seats. But when it's not your team playing at Penn State, 
there's definitely a really unique enjoyment to watching Penn State home games because you can hear everything that they say to the players. I love that you could you could hear it was just like three guys chanting "Not your father" at Ron Harper Jr. as he was missing free throws. The yeah, it's um... screaming. Oh, uh, <laughs> wow, Bryce Jordan. Uh... <laughs> it is definitely um, the Bryce Jordan Center was not built to be a basketball arena. They just kind of used it for that because it fit more people than Rec Hall did. Uh, but I will say um, that one time when Penn State sold out uh, in 2020 before the season ended abruptly, um, it, it sounded nice to actually have a packed place screaming. So you actually couldn't hear the broadcaster speaking because it was so loud. But, you know, it just so happens that that happens once every 20 years. Well, uh, speaking of other things that happen once every 20 years, Nebraska beat a top 10 team on the road. One of the other things we said last a couple of weeks ago was that Nebraska was dead and buried and probably not going to win again. And they've now won not only three in a row, but they've done that on the road. They, of course, started by demolishing Penn State, um, but then they went and beat Ohio State, and then they went and beat Wisconsin, even without Bryce McGowan's uh, losing Trey McGowan's to an ejection, and then Alonzo Verge playing a lot of minutes with four fouls. Yeah. Thank, what do we thank- make of Nebraska? Finally, like, the Nebraska fans that we – talk to are kind of in a uh, well I guess you can't necessarily I mean fire him now that you've committed to him right but I, I don't think uh, there were, were any positive feelings about this program it could be a different story now this is the first time they've they've shown more than just brief flashes during a game of being competitive so I didn't see them play the, the game where uh, I didn't get to see much, of, if at all, of the, the Wisconsin game. And really, my only interactions with them have been Northwestern beating their brakes off twice. Um, but it's it seems like they've found a little bit of that offensive stride where maybe earlier in the year it was just kind of, hey, we're just going to sprint up and down and throw shit at the basket and see how it goes. Um, you know, whether that's, I, I mean, I recall it against Penn State if they shot something like 60% from three or something like that, which is ridiculous. But McGowan's playing well, but I think, you know, however it is, Verge or however I'm supposed to say his name emerging as a, as a player here has been enough for them. They've got that scrappy kind of mentality and also that just they can't keep losing, right? It's they almost had to like some buckets had to start falling for Nebraska and and uh, yep, and they absolutely did in what was a very convenient time for the fighting Illini. Um, of course, I watched that game from start to finish with intense interest. And uh, ultimately, it was also about Nebraska finding ways to play just enough defense that Wisconsin missing a lot of shots and uh, specifically running out of like crazy banked contested three pointers uh, opened up the door for Illinois. So the, the fourth narrative that I pointed out that was proven wrong was we said 
you know, with Purdue beating Illinois a second time, well, now it's Purdue's conference to lose because they seem to have the easiest back-end schedule at the time. It was two weeks ago. And then they lost at Michigan State and lost a heartbreaker to Wisconsin that dropped into six wins and took them out of the running. So, man, they lost four games in the Big Ten by one possession. And uh, sure, you know, one of them was at Wisconsin uh, and one of them was a preposterous buzzer beater at Rutgers. But also they lost at Indiana. And uh, just, man, it's got to be absolutely sickening for them to not capitalize on this opportunity. But yeah, the opportunity was was open back up for Illinois, and Illinois stopped Iowa's winning streak to claim their share of it. So here we are. Um, I drank an entire bottle of champagne uh, at, at ten o'clock on a Sunday night. It'd be more surprising I- if you hadn't, I guess. <laughs> I think Illinois. In in a in a different way because they've been here before, but like in Illinois, I, in my mind, it's a little bit like Rutgers in that they've also oh, had oh, a nice oh, score oh. of people. Where exactly are you? Going I'm with going this? somewhere with this. <laughs> Calm down. They've had a nice score of people that have been here for a bit of time, and it wasn't that long ago where Illinois had actually lost like five or six straight to Penn State. It was that's how bad it was. But this group of people elevated them to a point where they were just there, but couldn't get over that hump of getting that Big Ten title. And they finally did. And it's like, I think in a sense, that's another version of what I mentioned earlier. It's like everyone deserves that. And I think in Illinois case, it's like they've been so close for so long they also deserve to actually taste what it's like to win a regular season title. Um, And those players that have been here for five ish years, you know, they finally get it done and they get to go out um, with the title as opposed to just being ever so close, but never getting there. Yeah. They, uh, cause had they lost, to Iowa or had had Nebraska lost to Wisconsin, it would have been the third consecutive season where Illinois was just one loss to Maryland away from winning the title. They're one and four against Maryland over the last three years. But, you know, Trent Frazier and DeMonte Williams in particular, their fifth year seniors, they were there their freshman year was, I believe, a tie with the most losses in a single season for Illinois. So for them to go from that to winning the Big Ten title, and uh, having one fewer Big Ten win than the last than the previous season is, uh, I think, just one hell of a journey. So with the season over, I think that there were five distinct tiers. All right. I want to hear your take on this. So we had a top tier, which was Illinois, Wisconsin, and Purdue. I think there was a pretty clear separation between those three and everybody else. Um because it just it always felt like an event if one of them lost, uh, even if it was to the other. Uh, Wisconsin swept Purdue, who swept Illinois, um, who then played Wisconsin once. Um, and then tier two, the over five hundred club. 
Uh, these teams all finished within one game of each other. Iowa, Ohio State, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Michigan. You could arguably put the MSU and Michigan a little below that, but they ended up with uh, pretty similar conference records. In Tier 3 is no man's land, and that's where we find our hapless Indiana Hoosiers. <laughs> at 9-11. and 11. In Tier 4, also Rands. Maryland, Northwestern, and Penn State. And then tier five was ass Nebraska and Minnesota. Um, it's, it's really interesting that we had so many teams over 500. Uh, of course we had two, four win teams in a 20 win in a 20 game schedule. So that produced some of it. Indeed. I think we did I... earlier in the season predict that there would be a five loss big 10 champ. Like that, the champ could have as many as six losses. There is not going to be a clear cut winner. I think was our general consensus. I concur. The way that it reality happened, concurs too. You see that that like Wisconsin sweeping Purdue, sweeping Illinois, who beats Wisconsin. It speaks as well to the. I mean, not pair. It feels weird to say parity because there's a clear like contender kind of a tier, but that idea that. Wisconsin matchups well, you know, matches up well with Purdue, who matches up well with Illinois, who thankfully just kind of beat Wisconsin down too. Is it just it was a weird, a weird season, and with kind of Ohio, Ohio State lurking like they should have been better than they were, that Iowa suddenly learned how to shoot the ball and could you know got just Keegan Murray out of nowhere, and Iowa and Ohio State had a very opposite paths here because Iowa started out looking very disappointing. Ohio State started out looking like a contender and then they just totally swapped in the last couple of weeks of the season. Iowa got hotter than all hell. They won like what nine in a row and the wheels fell off of Ohio State. Uh, Bizarre stuff and of course you talk about matchups. I mean one of the things is if your strategy is we have this guy and he's really big then Purdue is going to be a problem. (laughs) I think another aspect of how surprising this season might look is how insanely ridiculous the previous two seasons were so that the clear separation in the tiers is maybe like a breath of fresh air. Whereas before, um, I think it was maybe last season, right? That after the first two games, there was a tie for first or for second between teams two and 13 and then there was one and 14 um so like when you go from so many teams being so close together before to now having a clear top a clear middle and a very clear bottom as hot as nebraska's end was you know they were clearly in the bottom um when you have that it um it feels a little bit weird especially because um, the Big Ten for the past, um, I think we'll say decade with the exception of maybe two years here and there, has been a gauntlet um, in and out. So we could basically, uh, I, I think it's a good time as, as we're recording this on the Monday after the season's wrapped up uh, to just kind of take the temperatures of everybody. Who's the happiest right now? Well, the obvious answer is me. I am. I am the happiest, as is my colleague over here. He was a high school quarterback who 
has actually watched Illinois back when they used to do this kind of thing with some regularity, whereas I've only been watching for 14 years. I never experienced anything like this. It was the most important Illinois basketball game I ever watched. How does this compare to the past? Well, I guess one thing, you know, uh, I, every every team that won the title has been different and special in their own way. I, I, I guess I don't like the people who want to rank, you know, is this team better? I, I just like to enjoy them all for their own uniqueness. Um, but obviously what I love most about this team, Trent and DeMonte, their first game at Illinois was an exhibition game against Eastern Illinois University, a D2 school that we got blown out by like 28 points. Uh, and the journey yep, I remember from, that. from losing to Eastern Illinois, 40 miles down the road, the, you know, the, not even that great of a, of a division two team at the time, just absolutely ran us out of the gym. And uh, the journey from that point to here and the, just the way those guys were committed to the process uh, and, and just left it all on the floor, played their ass off for five years is uh, that to me is what made this particular brand of Illinois champion unique and special. I mean, this, these are Kofi and AO's teams the last, you know, they, you know, they were the ones who brought us back, but, but Trent and DeMonte were the heart and soul and, you know, they were the ones doing all the dirty work. Um, I can't do you recall, no, you know, do you recall the series of Trent Frazier buzzer beaters that didn't fall in the beginning of a season a few years ago? Yeah, <laughs> it just yeah, like several games in a row where he had the shot up in the air that would tie or win it just wouldn't go in. But and, you know, he, you know, his first two years, he was a primary option. You know, his he was shoot, he was high usage, you know, 30 percent usage uh, cl or close to it. Um, and then they said, hey, we got these two stars. You're going to have to to be a defensive stopper and he said okay and turned into the best perimeter defender in the game today and you know that's just that's character and that is work ethic and and how did a kid from wellington florida decide to go to champagne and love champagne like he does i don't know but you know uh i got his back forever because well, that was special he was a john gross recruit lest we forget yeah um the, the the iowa game was very much a microcosm of illinois season in that you could see the promise right out the gate right you could you could see um you know they, they were rebounding really well and uh and weren't hitting that many shots but you, you could see right away why this team was ranked where it was and then some stuff just happened. Like they just sort of seemed to fall apart and mistakes compounded on each other. And it sort of looked like the wheels were going to fall off at various points uh, during several games this season, the Iowa one included, I think they were at one point down 18 and they found some way 
to, you know, change things up, get defensive stops, um, find some, find some shots and claw right back into the game and ended up, I mean, it, it just feels like they've survived so many, uh, near misses as far as just, you know, when they lose games, it's like, wow, this doesn't look like the same team that, you know, flirted with the top 10 in January. And then they, they still end up finding ways to win late in the season. So it, uh, yeah. So it's, it, it felt like, uh, whereas last year's team was cruising and I think still vastly better than this one, but it, it, it felt like this team just had to work so hard to get to those, you know, it, it, it it's not to say that last year's team didn't work that hard, but it just felt like they were in such a rhythm. This team never really felt like that, and they they were able to fight to to, to get there. So yeah, over the weekend they played the 2020 Illinois Iowa game on BTN. Oh yeah, and comparing that team to this team, what really stood out was how many easy baskets Iowa got. I mean. He just would get out and transition and and get layups. And this team never gets those easy baskets. It, they really do work hard for what they get. Um, so it, what impressed it, me too was their work on the, the defensive end. What's that? Sorry, and you. This was a point you had actually raised. Uh, the, their effort on the defensive end as well, moving Coleman Hawkins onto onto Murray, and just kind of the game that he had when he was defending. Uh, Keegan Murray, it's, he definitely saw a little more kind of blue collar scrap to this year's Illini. And I mean, I can't, I don't know if it'll take him far in, in the NCAA tournament, but it, an impressive kind of adaptation to not things not coming as easily as they did in the past with somebody like an IO. Sure. I would say sure. that because things didn't come as easy for them this time around, they're probably actually going to be better prepared for a Loyola Chicago type that's going to give them everything they've got because they've actually been here. They've, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be the one who says it. I do think that this team earned their championship and the other last season's team kind of maybe felt that they were due. Um, and I think reality hit them in the face in the tournament with a team that actually, you know, worked hard. Whereas if that, I think if that scenario happens again this time around, this Illinois team is going to be much better prepared because they like clawed their way into what they've got. And um, I will say another another fan base not represented here today that's probably really happy with the results is Wisconsin's last year and this year, and maybe even twenty, maybe twenty. I don't remember if twenty twenty or this year was the bad season in between. But like two championships out of whatever they got in the past few seasons is actually pretty good. Um, no one expected them to win it this time around. And I, the, the season that I'm thinking of when they won like nine in a row to end the season and shared the title, like if you're a Wisconsin fan, you should be thanking your lucky stars right now because that that's pretty amazing given the the roster and you know John Davis of course he is a great athlete but usually once again as a Penn State fan when you have one guy that's good and a bunch of uh, surrounding him you end up at the bottom of the, of the conference not at the top so 
I would say Wisconsin, I I don't know. I don't want to call Redguard a great coach, but I mean, he has to have done something right to get a title out of this roster. Well, yeah, and this coming after what seemed like a near-player mutiny in the offseason last year. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what makes this really shocking to me, um, is that they, they, they rallied with what they had. They played kind of a thin rotation, but it was, uh, you know, although they did have Davis, or Davis uh, doing a lot of the scoring, they had a lot more complementary pieces than, say, Iowa. They had a lot of... It, it, you know, they had elite role players. On yeah, this you know, guard, guard may have been the worst coach in the conference last year. He did the least with the most talent last year, and then this year uh, flipped the strip. So as much as I so hate the lesson to here, credit Wisconsin, uh, great job by Greg <laughs> Guard. So the lesson here is that Wisconsin just – needs to recruit a bunch of two-star guys who are not haired at all and, you know, make something out of nothing there because the minute they get any talent, they, they, they put it to waste. They could send some of that East over to us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, football fans would call that the Ron Turner method of, uh, <laughs> of recruiting. Uh, Absolutely. But- um, well, Rutgers, as we've talked about, they have to be overjoyed. Uh, and you got to think that Iowa still reasonably happy. I mean, obviously, you got to be gutted by uh, Keegan Murray. Well, both of the Murrays clanking all kinds of free throws at the end of a game that could have been a, a generational nut punch for Illinois fans. Um, but that did cap off a season that saw them get out from some very disappointing territory to finish – uh, pretty high in the conference standings and, you know, end up in the final AP poll. Well, not the final, but, you know, this iteration of it. Oh, indeed. I, I, it was another team that was not expected to do much this season. I think the, the highest they were projected in the preseason was maybe like ninth. And to finish, uh, I believe they finished fifth in the conference to finish that high with what they had coming in. Um, again, if I were an Iowa fan, I'd be really happy. Now, if they could get out of the first weekend, that would be even better. But that's another conversation for future Iowa. Present Iowa should be pretty content with what they've done so far, given what they were expected to do. Well, and tell me this. Are Penn State fans pretty satisfied? The fact that no one, including Penn State's own fans, not named Ellie, not being me, um, predicted no more than four conference wins. And the fact that they won seven, and I don't think it would be that unrealistic to say they could have easily won 10. Two of them at Wisconsin and at Rutgers, they actually had the ball to win and simply missed the last second shot. At Illinois, they missed like seven straight threes that could have tied the game before they had to fall. Yep. At, um, I'm forgetting another, at Michigan, um, not at Michigan, against Michigan at home, 
they were actually up 11 until the wheels came off, but still lost by just a point. Like there were so many games that Penn State could have won that, you know, they didn't because the situation at hand, but still having won seven and so easily could have won even more. I don't think any realistic fan could have expected more out of a first-year coach, especially given that if you compare it to a bunch of recent first-year coaches and how they've done so far, we're actually doing pretty well in comparison. So, you know, at least, you know, there, there, are, there are recent coaches that are winning four conference games in their third season, not their first. So winning seven in their first season – and I will say, um, if Penn State beats Minnesota on Wednesday and then loses to whoever on uh, Thursday, they will finish with the exact same record as last season's team, which most people uh, thought would be uh, a better team just based on the experience and who they had. So matching that record, um, I can't be – I couldn't be any – like. If, if I found fault in that performance, I would be what we call a Penn State pessimist. And having the number 26 recruiting class coming in for 2022, um, you know, like things are looking up. So what do you feel about the, the playing style? I mean, the slowest – one of the slowest-paced teams, the slowest-paced team in Big Ten and one of the slowest in Power Five and, and – I mean, do you think that's what Micah Shrewsbury wants to play, or he just play that because of the personnel, and it'll be different next year? And when your like team it? playing slow, it's atrocious. When my team plays slow, the it's ooey a pooey. work of beauty. The ooey pooey strategy. Say, um, yeah, um, but I, I he he did mention a couple of times actually that the the style of play is uh, based on the personnel that he has. If you get the fewest possessions possible with a team that, like, as Nebraska showed, can't run with you, you know, you, you're going to give yourself a lot of chances to win. And, of course, the bad side of that coin is that you're also going to give yourself a lot of chances to lose. But I think as the style uh, or, I mean, as the talent comes in and more of it, the players that he wants start to cycle through the program, you'll see more of what he likes to run, which is probably going to look similar to what Purdue looked like last season. So then, you know, we also said Nebraska fans got to feel some hope. I mean, they're feeling something now, which is a massive improvement. I can't really gauge Maryland fans. I think they pretty much checked out of the season. Uh, And Michigan fans, I'm also having a hard time gauging. They're very happy about beating Ohio State on the road without Hunter Dickinson. But I think they expected more from the season, but kind of made peace with it early on that this is a young team. They did figure it out down the stretch. Um, it's not like this spiraled out of control or anything. So I think Michigan fans are kind of resuming the normal Michigan fan state of affairs, which is like, uh, I mean, when spring practice start, Oh, Hey, did we make the tournament? That's neat. (laughs) I can't speak for Michigan, but I will talk about Maryland a little bit. Um, I just want to say to Maryland fans, (laughs) when your official Twitter account celebrates beating Penn State basketball with one of your patented memes, you know how far you've come. 
because we are blue, but we are not Duke. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that's what an indictment of uh, of Mark Turgeon that that they're that they're using Penn State as a surrogate Duke. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. A lot more if they didn't beat Illinois. 80% of the time. Yeah, the other thing that Illinois did by winning against Iowa is they moved out of Maryland's side of the bracket in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> it's a very, very important win. So, who do we think is the least happy? Because I got to feel like Purdue fans are just are just sick over not winning the, the conference this year. Well, I, that seems I get- like the... I guess my vote would be Purdue slash Michigan State. Um, if Michigan people were more invested in basketball, they they should be the most disappointed as they went from a top five team to a bubble team. Uh, but I don't know. The the pulse I see of, of the Michigan State people I know is not, not real pleased. I actually got an update, uh, by the way, our – our, our regular host, Andrew, is on vacation right now, but he did send me a text. Uh, my opinion for the pod is MSU backing into the postseason like a dump truck, and they'll get bounced in the Big Ten quarters and the first weekend of the tournament. No reason to revise my opinion that MSU hoops is where football was in 2018. So uh, he's he, he's been very checked out on, on this season for, for, for a while now. I think it really it was really getting vaporized by Rutgers that, that made him just sign off. Um, I can't imagine they're, they're happy, but also Indiana fans. We, uh, we, we, we had one of them on here a couple of times and man, to it, it was a bit of a long shot that they were going to do it, but you know, make the tournament, but boy, losing at home to Rutgers on senior day, uh, to basically seal yourself out of the tournament is just such a such a tough thing. That, that's got to be just awful because I mean they also had that Wisconsin collapse where they were up by by what twenty two points in like the second half I think and and lost uh, fairly early in the season. I I was stunned by that. They had they had they certainly had the opportunities. They certainly had the talent. They were certainly in position in several games. Uh, and they just couldn't get it done. They're going to need a lot of help. Uh, well, not a lot of help, but they're going to need to do some more. They're going to need to do some serious work. They're going to um, have to win some games in the Big Ten tournament. That's for yeah. sure. I would say um, I don't know what the preseason expectations for Indiana were, but I don't know that they can be that upset, right? Like your team won nine and eleven. It's it was effectively the exact same team that was there last season. Different coach, but again, another first-year coach, right? Um, I don't know that you can't be too upset with where you ended up. You still are in – you're basically in the exact same position that you were last season. You beat Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. You put yourself in. You don't. You bounce out. So it's like – I guess you could say they didn't make much progress, but I don't know how much progress should have been expected out of a first-year coach. Yes, there is the argument that Indiana, with all the talent that they have, they should be better than this. 
But if they were better than this, they'd have their last coach and not this coach, right? So I, I'm going to give Mike Woodson some slack here and say he's getting his feet wet. And if they're this uh, level of good slash bad, however you want to say it, next season, like if they don't start showing um, decided improvement next season, if they can't, if their guards can still still can't play next season, I think then you start or you know you start actually feeling disappointment. Because um, at least now, if they win in the Big Ten tournament, they're going to be in. Like they haven't been locked out, especially because you know losing to Rutgers doesn't look bad this season. At least, at least now. It's well, and I, I can also now. and I can also sort of relate to what this point what indiana fans might be must be feeling because i believe this will be what the fourth or fifth straight year that they haven't made the tournament which as an illinois fan i went through this a while ago feeling like well wait there's just no way we seriously just missed the tournament for the fifth year what's going on i i feel like i'm taking crazy pills i don't how is this happening this doesn't seem real so I think that's where a bit of, of, of that uh, despondency comes from with Indiana is just the realization that, yep, it's, you know, you, you just can't waste opportunities anymore because time's flown a little bit there. I mean, I, I hadn't felt as down. I just like putting them in that tier three of just like, okay, they exist. Um, and then I went and just, I was looking at their schedule. I was trying to think, like, who have they they played over the last month? Like, what happened? Um, they, they ended the season two and seven in their last nine games. Yeah, so uh, that's, which, that's why I have them in the upset category. And those two wins are a home win against Maryland and a road win at Minnesota they tried to piss away. Like, that's it. And there's a loss at Northwestern. <clears throat> there's the home loss to Rutgers. Like, you... <clears throat> I just the, there's concern and teams figured out over the course of the year pack it into the lane and just say okay if killer mop is going to beat you with you know with the three ball then great but I I mean Trace Jackson Davis will get his 19 his 20 points and after that you know who's going to hurt you so I think there's there's a real frustration that could be had because of who they were beating and who they were losing to. But at the same time, it's maybe it just takes some time to get in a couple transfers or get, you know, get those recruits who can shoot the ball and, and build up a backcourt again. And as for Minnesota, I got to think their fans had no expectations due to the roster being such a shit show. Uh, the good start was a mirage, but I think they knew better. And Northwestern fans says, here's my estimation. They're disappointed, but no more than usual. I <laughs> I mean, this is where where you've been saying that this is life as a Penn State fan. I've been having the – I picked at the start of the year 6-14 and 14 was what I thought Northwestern would do. Um, do we finish 6-14 and 14 or 7-13? and 7-13. I, I mean, fuck, like a, a win better than I thought they were going to be. And I'm sitting here fucking livid because I watched the same shit. They don't improve. I mean, that's the the, the frustration here is just – you know what you're going to get out of a Chris Collins team. You know, no offensive identity, a team that plays, you know, doesn't play up to the sum of its parts. Like 
it just the same disappointing returns over and over again. And I mean, I guess I'm technically nominally happy that like we managed to beat, you know, a bad Nebraska team twice and, and Minnesota once. And even that win against Michigan at Michigan state at the start of the year doesn't look as impressive anymore. Like wins against Rutgers, two against Nebraska, against Indiana, against Minnesota. Like, who have we beaten? Against Maryland, sorry, that's it. You guys just stopped and reminded me that this is year nine of Chris Collins. I, like... What? I, I'd kind this of is run year out nine. Of, I'd run out of gas, run out of, like, just acceptance and frustration. It is year nine of this shit. Like, I had to listen to... And look, I was the biggest Bill Carmody stand. I still am the biggest Bill Carmody stand in the world, but, like that it was year 14 or 13 or whatever it was of him and we needed to move on like hypothetically this program has more ambition now and that we don't need to stick with a losing model for nine years and it's just it's it's where we are uh, do you tell me at the start of the year 7 and 13 and i'd say okay probably sounds about right just the way in which you watch the team not show up against Purdue, just put their hands around their throats against Michigan and against Illinois. It's just great. We're beating the Minnesotas and the Nebraskas of the world. I have to watch John fucking Hera make Northwestern look bad, like at home and on the road like that. They just, he, and God love the guy. He just fucking outworked them every single time. Like you had players in who weren't ready to get punched in the face by something. Give me the days of Sanjay Lumpkin bricking threes from the corner against the side of the backboard. At least he would then go down and punch the shit out of somebody on the defensive end. Like, give me that at least. Make me feel attached to this team instead of just like, okay, well, Boo Boo is going to stick his head down and run at the basket and probably miss a layup. Well, I did say a bunch of times while, while watching Illinois and Bill Carmody alum Jacob Grandison uh, missed shots against Northwestern. I, I remember saying a bunch of times, boy, if they had like an offensive game plan, we'd be in real trouble here. In both games, it was like that where we just couldn't make anything, but then, you know, nothing was going to happen on the other end. Yep. Well, I didn't. I, will, I remember Andy Katz picking Northwestern seventh in the preseason on the BTN and just being like, whoa. And John Rothstein promised us, by the way, that's the one. He has the tweet from, uh, and we'll embed it in the article with the podcast, he has the tweet promising that if Northwestern did not make the tournament, he would rent a bar and buy drinks for every Northwestern fan who wanted to show up. So I need to get a flight to Chicago because I am getting absolutely obliterated and making him butt chug Malort in front of me for my satisfaction, for promising me an NCAA tournament and instead forcing me to watch a team that went seven and fucking 13 in the Big Ten and couldn't beat Penn State once. That is one hell of a promise to make. I will say that. My goodness. Yeah. I will say I am actually pissed for Northwestern fans because, first of all, no one should lose twice to Penn State in a single season. And secondly, it, they should be better than this. Like, Northwestern is one of, like, two teams in the Big Ten who returned all but one guy. And the guy who left... Uh, ended up being terrible for Indiana. 
Miller Cobb. Addition by subtraction. They should not be this bad. And I like, again, I don't know how much run the first ever NCAA tournament appearance is going to get Chris Collins, but like at some point you have to believe like you have not had a single winning season since. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in some article that like, if this were the first time that Northwestern returned virtually their entire team and face planted, I'd be fine. But like, this is actually the second time they've done that because when they made the tournament the first time around, they returned almost everyone again and they face planted. So I, I don't like, it's harder to make, it's, it's, it's hard to make the argument that I'm about to do two negatives, but like it's hard to make the argument now that the tournament season wasn't the anomaly. It, because like it's, it's just, it feels like they caught lining in a bottle that, that one time and they've been paying for it since. And I don't like, yes, a lot was said about that magical season, but like, come on this roster should not be 12th or 13th, whatever they're, it, they are in the Big Ten. Like, it just... Now, and I'm going to make an effort to talk as respectfully as I can about this this situation, but it feels yeah. there's a lot of Bruce Weber effect going on here where it was like... How dare you? Where it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> but how can we ever fire Bruce Weber? Because he's the guy that had us just... That Luther Head 3 would probably have won them the national title based on how it would have played out. So we can never fire that guy, right? No matter what happens. He got us inches from the promised land, which means he's definitely going to do it again. But at some point, some point you have to, you have to, to to cut your losses. Uh, You'd think. You'd think at some point, and yet here we are. gone to a press conference and said he wished he had the players on the other team. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Bruce Weber's white flag press that was conference. The nail in the coffin. He didn't didn't have an all uh, well didn't have a lottery pick crying on the bench at Nebraska ball. So uh, th- those are some of the signs that uh, that you need to fire your coach. Um. I will say, um, like, this is one of the reasons why I'm actually, like, satisfied with Penn State's season is that I think um, Minnesota Wildcats, I think he said it best. My team may be losing, but they're down 14 at Rutgers. Everyone's turning the TVs off because they're clearly not going to come back from this. Illinois didn't. Purdue. Well, actually, Purdue kind of did, but Michigan State didn't. The teams were clearly better than Penn State didn't. So why would Penn State? Well, actually, they did, and they almost beat them, actually. Um, and I think this is why I'm – and again, Michael Shrewsbury's first season, I don't know how the future will go, but like at least this has been Penn State's identity for the past couple of years. Uh, we may not win all, every game, but we're going to – play you until the clocks hit zero and we're going to make you work for your wins unless you're Nebraska and you shoot 65% from three and you know exceptions to every rule Man, so I think that that's when, what makes me feel better when you said that it's Chris Collins ninth year 
You know what it made me think of? A, a, a couple years ago uh, on this podcast, when Andrew said that it was Pat Chambers' eighth year at Penn State, and I was thinking, what? And I think it's because it's similar, because they just kind of were doing, were playing the same exact Penn State season over and over again, that it just, you know, it feels like Chris Collins Northwestern keeps doing the same season over and over again. So it's incredible that like, wow. And that's happened nine times. Cause you know, say, there's the no narrative arc. I think the difference for Penn state was that like, they, they, they were adding one extra win each season. So like they started with two big 10 wins. Then they went to four Then they went to six then they were like hovering in the six and sevens for a while. Then they had the NIT season. Then they went back to seven. And then in 2020, they would have made the tournament had it not been canceled. So like, I think there was some progression in that the team generally was better. They may not have been good in a conventional uh, sense, but like they were better than the team before, right? So like you could see where they were going. Whereas, like, I, I, yeah, I, I don't mean to pile on, but like, I just don't know where Northwestern is going. <laughs> you and me both pile on all you want. So, we sort of discussed Coach of the Year a bit, where it's probably, it's probably going to Greg Gard simply because it's always awarded by the difference between preseason predictions and actual finishing order. Uh, I would say the other two that should get consideration are Brad Underwood and Steve Peichel for reasons that we've discussed, right? Because uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, Austin Hutcherson was supposed to be a pretty big part of our game plan at Illinois, and he never played. Um, I wonder if he ever will. Um, but uh, player of the year, it, it it does seem like Johnny Davis is anointed, but is there anybody else that you have a case for? I'll, in- I'll throw Kofi in the mix. I I think uh, he gets underrated because they he's a physical specimen. He has physical, you know, size and strength that nobody else has. So people kind of feel like that's unfair, but that doesn't make him any less effective. There's been you know numerous games this year, you know, like the Iowa game last night. We were uh, plus 21 in the 34 minutes Kofi played and minus uh, 19 in the six minutes he did not. Jesus. How, yeah, you how, talk about a single player making not, a huge difference. Uh, I mean, that's the definition of a difference maker. And there's been numerous games this year where he, w- he was a you know 15 or 20-point swing from when he was in the game to when he wasn't. You just cannot guard him with one guy. That's that's all there is to it, and that makes him just so valuable. And it's not like his effectiveness has changed at all based on that. Everybody knew coming into it that you've you've got to double Kofi as soon as he touches the ball inside the three-point line, and he is still scoring, averaging 20 and 10. Uh, Keegan Murray uh, reanimated Iowa with a – big-time scoring run as they won nine in a row. Um, Sort of uh, compared to Johnny Davis a lot, I think Keegan Murray has a little bit less going on as far as 
uh, supporting cast doing other non-scoring things around him. Uh, feels very much like uh, like Iowa always has this kind of player, but Keegan Murray is definitely an exceptional one. And uh, any one of those three guys is, uh, I mean, you you can make a strong case for any of those guys. Would say um, I know DJ Liddell was getting some love earlier. Um, Jaden Ivy was getting some love too. I think based on how Ohio State finished. We can cross Liddell out of that list. They didn't lose to Nebraska because of him, though. I'll tell you that. I mean, he did everything he could. But but I think Player of the Year is also uh, like Coach of the Week. uh, Coach of the Year is is kind of a little bit of a who is the best player on the hottest team kind of thing. And recency bias, I think, will disqualify Ohio State here. Um, Jaden Ivey is the other guy that I think will probably be in the conversation. I don't know that he by himself did enough for Purdue in the way that Davis or even Murray um, did for their respective teams. So I wouldn't be surprised if any of those five guys were to win it. Um, but I expect it's going to be between Murray and Davis. And right. I have to say that Ivy is completely lost and or disinterested on the defensive end of the court 80% of the time he's out there and that disqualifies him from player of the year in my mind he could be and um, he could be everything that Caleb McConnell is on the defensive end he has the athletic tools to do that he just doesn't care so he could be a person who slaps you and gets away with it at, at home because they just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he Pounding gets nails. defensive player, if he gets <laughs> defensive player of the year over Seth Lundy, I will go to Piscataway myself and spray paint. I don't know what, but I will spray paint something. Well, Trent Frazier is going to get it, so that's a moot point. But all right, so we're going to sign off here, but join us shortly to talk about the upcoming postseason because Juwan Howard is back, ladies and gentlemen. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!